Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Good evening. It's great to see so many of you this evening. Thank you for coming. A special welcome to you guys as well. My name is George and I'm the curate here of this church. We've got a few weeks until we get a vicar. And um, yeah, is that exciting? You actually get a proper vicar. I'm just a fake, well, I'm not really, but I'm, I'm kind of a stand-in. Two weeks. It's very exciting. So it's great to see everyone here. Who ran the half marathon this morning? Is it just one? Dave. I can't believe it was just Dave when you've got all of these young people here. Dave, <laughs> sorry Dave, you're still young as well, don't worry. But well done Dave. As, uh, as Dave has already introduced to us, we're going to be looking at the Beatitudes. And we've been in the Beatitudes for the last few weeks in this introductory period, looking about building up to Matthew chapter 5. And in the next couple of months... As Simon the New Vicar arrives, we're going to be staying in the Beatitudes, looking um, as to what these Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, really means. See, I love the Beatitudes because it's this kind of upside-down kingdom, the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of this world. The Beatitudes, in their very nature, are countercultural. You see, Jesus does not do what the world says or does. Jesus comes at it with a completely different angle. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are you when you are persecuted. The world does not teach that that is the case. It's not blessed if you are poor. It's blessed if you are rich. You see, I love the fact that Jesus looks at this from a different angle. That this is what the kingdom of God is all about. This evening, I'm going to ask you to have a Bible with you. If you haven't got a physical Bible, then your phone will do. And I won't be offended if you are on your phone. That's fine. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 4. And then we're also going to look at Matthew 14. What I'm going to be speaking on this evening is the fact that we as disciples of Christ are called. That we have a calling. That we have a purpose. That Jesus sees our potential. 
that he sees something in us that maybe no one else sees. And we are called with a purpose to go and to empower other people. We are called in order to go and to empower other people. We're going to unpack what does empowerment look like. Before we do that, I'm just going to show us a short video clip, if you guys could cue that up on the screen. Is that all right? Just to show what empowerment looks like. Do you understand how dangerous this is, do you? Don't stand there crying. Just nod your head and tell me you won't do it again. Now dry up and get back to work. You okay? He told me to pick up the blood, so I did. But he never told me to lay with. Hey, it's okay. Stop crying. What's your name? Brenda. Brenda. Brenda, I wouldn't worry about it. You know, these doctors, you know, they don't know everything. It's my first week. I think they're going to fire me. No. No, nobody's going to fire you, Brenda. I bet you're good at your job. No, I'm not. Yeah, I bet if I asked you to check on the status of my friend Lance Applebaum, that you could do that for me in a second. Nurse Fitzsimmons to recovery. Nurse Fitzsimmons to recovery. Mm -hmm. Mr. Applebaum fractured his ankle. Dr. Ashland is treating him in exam room seven. You see that? No problem. <laughs> Who knows the film? Catch me if you can. It is a brilliant film. If you've not seen the film, I'd recommend watching it. It's a really good film. But that's what empowerment looks like. That's what empowerment looks like. And Jesus created a culture, an environment of empowerment, that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of empowerment. Now, this word empowerment means, by definition, to give authority or to give power to someone else. And, and we see this time and time again in Scripture. We look at the Old Testament, we see in the life of Abraham. Abraham was called uh, where he was at at that time, and God empowered Abraham to go and to do some quite incredible things. God empowered the prophets to speak the word of God. God empowered uh, King David. Many of us know the story of King David. King David was called as, as a shepherd, tending to his sheep. He wasn't particularly spectacular. And God called him and empowered him to be the father of many nations, but also to be in the line of Jesus Christ. God empowered King David. God empowered Solomon. In the New Testament, we see that, that Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Apostle Paul, James, all of these guys, God takes ordinary people and does incredible things through them. Ordinary people that he does incredible things through them. My first point this evening is that empowerment is about seeing potential. It's about seeing someone's potential. I'm going to read to us again Matthew 4. If you've got your Bibles, open them up to Matthew 4, verses 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee... He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. 
They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and they followed him. So this is the story of Jesus calling his first disciples or apprentices that you might say. And when a rabbi would do this, Jesus was a rabbi 2,000 years ago, it's saying a few things. A rabbi calling disciples says, I want you guys to come and to be with me, to become like me, and to go and do what it is that I do, basically. To come and be with me, to become like me, and to go and do what I do. And that's the same for us as Christians 2,000 years later. As disciples of Christ, we are called to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to go and to do what Jesus did. And that's the, the practical outworkings of our faith. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, that our faith must be practical, that we can't just spend all of our time navel-gazing. We actually have to do something about it. Be with me, become like me, and go and do what it is that I did. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And there's a few things I want to say about this. The first is that Jesus goes to these fishermen, and these guys are pretty ordinary sort of people. These are not the best of the best. These are not the people that you would think Jesus would go for. These are not the people that you would think the world would go after. Jesus doesn't go to Oxford or Cambridge. Sorry if anyone here is from Oxford or Cambridge. Jesus doesn't go to the synagogue. He doesn't go to the theological college. He doesn't go to Wall Street. He doesn't go to the investment bankers. He doesn't go to the city of London. He doesn't go to the people you would expect him to go to. He goes to a bunch of fishermen on a beach. Most probably these fishermen are illiterate. Most probably they are between the ages of 14 and 20 years old. They're young. Scholars would say that Peter is probably older, but most of these disciples are probably between the ages of 14 and 20 years old. And Jesus calls them. See, I love it when we read Scripture, that we don't just read it and and it kind of wash over us, that we actually try and put ourselves into the story. What's really going on? As I read this this last week, I was thinking about a beach, and I was thinking about fishermen, and what, what does it mean? We don't really see many fishermen these days, do we? There's a place, my grandfather's got a holiday home in a place in Kent called Littlestone, and we used to go to Littlestone as children growing up, and there's a place up the road from Littlestone called Dungeness, and Dungeness, little fact for you, is the largest deposit of shingle in the whole of Europe. Little fact for you about Dungeness. But Dungeness is a dump. I'm going to be honest. Sorry if anyone here is from Dungeness, but probably not. But Dungeness isn't a very nice place. It's a huge deposit of shingle. There's fishermen that go out. And I, I used to take friends to Dungeness, and I love this place because it's quirky and it's different, and it's where I spent my childhood. But my friends turn up, and they're like, what is this place? You go for fish and chips, and the fish are double the size they should be because there's a power station on Dungeness. It's a dump. And yet when I think of this story, fishermen on a beach, I think of Dungeness. I think of Jesus standing on this beach calling these fishermen. Alan Sugar would not have been on Dungeness Beach. The world would not say that's the place to go and scout for the best of the best. And yet Jesus sees their potential. 
He sees something in them that he thinks, yes, I can work with this. These guys have got something. He sees their true self. How many of us, if we're honest, think, have I got any potential? Does the world recognize my potential? Does the world recognize that there's something in me that no one else can see? I tell you what, Jesus sees it. Jesus sees your potential. Jesus sees your true self. And he will call you if you allow him. Honestly, it's the best thing that you can do. When I was 19 years old, Jesus called me. And I was doing some stuff, working in a business, but I I didn't feel like I had a purpose up until that point. And when Jesus called me, I felt God had given me a purpose. And he can do the same for you. If you feel you don't have that, if you feel like you have no potential, Jesus will call you and give you all that you need. Maybe that's you this evening, and, and you've, you've just turned up at uni, maybe you've started a new job, and you think, what am I doing here? There may just be something that God has for you, if you trust in him, if you open yourself up to him. Jesus sees our potential. And then what happens, as we know from the story, is that Jesus says to these disciples, I will make you fishers of men. Okay, that's one translation of what Jesus is saying. That basically means, in in rabbi terms, 2,000 years ago, that I'm going to make you into a great teacher. That's what Jesus is saying to these disciples. These are literate 14 to 20-year-old disciples. I'm going to make you guys into great teachers. Have you ever wondered why these disciples just leave everything and, and, and follow Jesus? They've got their family business, they've got their fish, they've got their nets, they've got their money, they've got, you know, it's their, it's their family business, they probably had responsibilities. You see, they left everything to follow this rabbi because it was such good news. I'm going to make you into great teachers. And we know from uh, Peter, the Apostle Peter, in Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up in front of 3,000 people and preaches the word of God. And those people come to faith. In Acts chapter 3, he heals the sick. He casts out demons. He does the ministry that Jesus has empowered him to do. And yet, that doesn't just happen overnight. All the way back in Matthew 4, Jesus saw his potential. He called that out, and he used him for something great. You might not think you're particularly great. You might not think you have what it takes. But Jesus sees that. And he can use you if you're available to him. If you're available to him. You see, so many of us, myself included, we're we're often too busy. We're too busy. If we're serious about this and we say, God, you know, I'm here. Here am I. Send me. God will use you and take the gifts that you've got and, and multiply them and do incredible things. But you have to put yourself out there. You have to make yourself available. Empowerment is seeing potential. It's seeing our potential. I want to take us now to Matthew chapter 14. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up. Matthew chapter 14. I'm not sure what page that is. I'm sorry. 980. Thank you, Dave. Verse 22. 
Just to give you a little bit of context, Jesus has been doing loads of ministry. The disciples have been with him. They've been watching him. They've been seeing what he's doing. And they're exhausted. They're shattered. They feed the 5,000, and Jesus says to the disciples, you guys do it because you've been watching me. You can do this yourself. So Jesus um, gives the feeding of the 5,000 for the disciples to distribute the stuff, and they do it. And then what happens is the disciples get into a boat, and they go to the other side of the water. From verse 22, this is what it says. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Just a little side note there. If, well, where do you go when you're tired? Bed? Good. That's a good answer, actually. Do you go to Netflix? I do. Actually, Jesus sets an example here, doesn't he? He goes to his Father and he prays. Maybe when we're tired, we need to go to God and pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The reason I talk about this story is that my whole Christian life, I've read this story in a negative way, in a condescending, criticizing way. And that's not the, the God that I serve. But I read this as, Why did you doubt? You of little faith. What did you do that for? That's how I read this story. Until this last week, I've had a revelation this last week, and I wanted to share it with you this evening. I read a guy called Dallas Willard. Can we get his quote up on the screen? Thanks. This is what he says. Jesus probably invented the term oligopistoi, little face, which would have had a little comic tinge to the ears of his hearers. Oligopistoid Little Faiths seems to have been a nickname that he invented as a way of gently chiding his apprentices for their lack of confidence in God and in, in himself. You see, this tone, you of little faith, is actually Jesus saying, ah, oh, little faiths, try again, give it another go. You see, Peter steps out of the boat. Can you imagine Put yourself in the story. There's a huge storm. It's not just out on a little pond. They're out on a sea. There's a huge storm. And Peter sees Jesus walking on the water. Imagine seeing someone walking on the water. And he thinks, right, well, Jesus is doing it, and I'm going to run to Jesus, so I'm just going to do it. He keeps his eyes focused on Jesus. He jumps out the boat and runs towards him. As soon as he takes his eyes off Jesus, he starts to sink. 
But everything up until this point in Peter's life has told him that, that you can't walk on water. It's impossible. You can't do it. And yet he does it because he sees Jesus doing it. And he imitates him because he wants to be like his Lord. See, I love this about Peter. Peter has such confidence and such faith. And yet it's not, why did you doubt? It's, try again. Take a risk. Jump out of the boat. Take a risk for me. Empowerment is taking a risk for Jesus. Maybe there's some of us here this evening that, that we need to take a risk in something. Maybe there's something in your life at the moment that, that is too comfortable, that you think, oh, you know, I've been doing that for a while, but, but I need to take a risk. I need to do something different. Maybe you're scared. Maybe it's about committing your life to God and saying that I'm going to choose to follow you. Whatever it may be, Peter jumps out of the boat and runs towards Jesus. What area of our life do we need to jump out of the boat and run towards Jesus? Keeping our eyes fixed and focused on him. Take a risk. It's difficult to take risks. But I tell you what, how amazing is it when we do and we see stuff happen because we've taken that risk. We see God show up. How many of us have got testimonies of where we, we've taken that step and then, and then God has shown up and we've seen how God has worked through those things? Maybe that's something that we need to do. Whatever area it may be in your life at the moment. Throughout all of Scripture, God takes ordinary people, not particularly special, who are available to him and uses them for incredible things. I tell you what, if you surrender yourself to Jesus tonight, you will not regret doing that. He gives us purpose. He gives us something to do. He gives us a life that is worth living. And it is the most amazing thing. Speak to someone who's been a Christian for a while and they'll tell you that. God loves to take ordinary people and use them for incredible things. I'm just going to go through a, a few things of how we can practically get better at being close to God. And some of these are obvious, but maybe we need reminding. Um, so those can come up on the screen. Thank you. The first is hear and obey. Start with Scripture. Start with the Word of God that God has already given us in the Bible. And I think that's a great way to, to listen to God and to hear what God has to say. Start by reading the Bible and pray. God, what are you saying to me through this? Wouldn't it be amazing if we as a church developed such a love for the Scriptures, such a love for the Word of God, that it oozed out of us, that we were like Christ because we were so in the Word of God. Maybe you currently have a habit of, of reading the Bible. Maybe you do Bible in a year. Maybe you just read a little bit a day. I'd encourage you just to do a little bit more. Don't overburden yourself, but, but pick up the Word of God and listen to what God has to say through it. It's an incredible, incredible book. How do we hear God's voice? Journal. Ask questions. Write stuff down. I believe God speaks to us in dreams as well. And, and pray, God, speak to me. 
and write that down, make a note of it. The amount of words that I've had that I've just not written down and I've forgotten about them, how encouraging would it be to go back and to read those things and say, okay, well, that's what God was doing in that situation. Journal, write stuff down, ask questions, spend time with God. Make it a priority. As you've started this new term at university, make God a priority. Five minutes a day to show him that you're serious. Another thing that you can do is, is fast. And fasting is a great thing. It's not just a good thing because you lose a bit of weight. It's actually a really good thing because you show God that you're serious about something. That you're serious about following him. That you're serious about this thing that you're praying for. By giving something up. You're saying, God, I mean it. I want you to show up. I want you to speak to me. Fast. The second thing is, and they've come up on the screen already, practice with the small things. Don't start by saying, I'm going to spend four hours every single day with God on my knees in prayer. If you do that, I'd be very impressed. Come and speak to me and we'll get you sharing up at the front because that will be an inspiration. But don't start with that. Like, it's like New Year's resolutions. We start in the new year and we say we're going to try and achieve everything in 2019. Week one finishes, we, we give up. Start with something small. Start with just a couple of minutes every day. Read your Bible for a few minutes every day. Pray for a few minutes every day. Start with the small things and then you can build on those things. Start by giving a little bit of money away. You know, I don't often talk about money in the church because I don't want to put people off. But I tell you what, for most of us, money is an idol in our lives. Money is something that holds us back from having a proper, amazing relationship with Jesus because we can be obsessed with stuff and wealth and possessions. Start by giving something away. And I'm not saying you have to give it to the church. Give it, give it to someone who's in need. Give five pounds a month. Start small and see what God does. It's a really healthy thing to do. As I've said already, fasting, that's a great thing to do. And number three, release others to go and do what you've learned to do. And this is around mentors. And I'm quite big on this. And I, I want to see us as a church of, of empowerment where, where we're multi-generational, where the young are speaking to the old, the old are speaking to the young, and, and we're praying for each other. If you don't have a mentor, I'd encourage you to get a mentor. Someone who's older and wiser and is godly and will pray for you. Someone of the same sex. It's such an important thing to do. If you're 30 years old, like me, mentor someone who's 20. If you're 40, mentor someone who's 30. If you're 50, mentor someone who's 40. If you're 60, mentor someone who's 50. You get where I'm going with this. If you're 80 or 90, mentor someone who's 70 or, eight, or 60 or 50. You guys can do a bit more. It's so important. If we were a church, a culture of empowerment, where we, we looked out for one another, we prayed for one another, we invited students over for meals, that's so encouraging that we're doing that. It's such an important thing to do. Get a mentor if you haven't already got one. Someone that actually asks you hard questions, that challenges you, that commits to praying for you. Sarah shared with me before um, I came up to speak about the power of prayer and what she said really struck me because 
I think prayer, we often think, oh, well, you know, I can't do this because I can't invite that friend to Alpha because it's too hard or, or God's not showing up. And commit to prayer. Commit to praying. Five minutes a day. Pray for that person to invite to Alpha. Prayer is so incredibly powerful. I don't think we quite truly realize the power of prayer. If we did, we'd be praying a lot more. Commit to pray for someone. So I'm going to invite the band to come. Actually, no, I'm not, because we're going into communion. Sorry, Jack. We're going straight into communion, and we'll share the peace with one another. But I'd just like to pray for us. So if you feel comfortable, just put out your hands. And I'm sorry I've spoken for quite a long time. But it's important that we do this. It's important that we're serious about our relationship with God. Put our hands out to receive. God, I pray um, for what I've said this evening, and I pray, Lord, if anyone here is struggling um, with the fact that they don't think they've got potential, that they don't think that they've got anything to offer, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just cut to the heart now, and that you would show people that, that they do have potential, and that you can call them if they're available to you. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to take a risk for you. If there's an area in our life at the moment that we need to take a risk, help us in that. And Lord, I pray that that you would help us to practically work out these things, whether that's by spending more time in the Word, whether that's spending more time in prayer, whether that's mentoring someone, whether that's giving a little bit of money away, whether that's fasting, whatever it is, Lord, help us. Fill us now with your Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Give us all that we need. I just feel that God is saying, maybe to a couple of people, that you've tried and you've tried and you've tried, and you've not seen any result. But, but God is saying, keep on trying. Keep on trying. And he loves the fact that, that you are trying. But keep on pressing on. Don't give up. Never give up. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.